Andy, good morning. You know what a litmus test is, right? It's, uh, uh, maybe some of you remember this from school, it's a little piece of paper and you could dip it in a solution and uh, depending what color the paper turns, it would indicate if something is, uh, is an acid or an alkali. And uh, some of us are so far removed from high school uh, science that we couldn't care less about litmus tests. But uh, actually, it's pretty important because um, it's important to know uh, the acidity level of water or or, or soil or uh, whether it's an alkali. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, a beautiful hydrangea that I bought for my wife, Lisa, and we planted it outside, and we really liked the, the blue blossom of this. And I had read somewhere about the fact, we have a little rabbit, and I had read somewhere about the fact that you can kind of use the results of the rabbit and, uh, and, 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 and sort of to, to help nourish the soil and, and, and that. And so we, we spread that around and thought maybe that'll help that grow. And next thing I know, we didn't have a blue hydrangea anymore. We had a, we had a pink hydrangea. And I mean, pink's fine. I just like the blue one better. And so, of course, I asked Google because, uh, you know, that's what you do. And, and, and it turns out that I made the soil alkali and it changed the color of the blossom of the flower because of what I spread on the ground. Uh, Lipness tests reveal something about whatever it is that you're testing. Now, it sure would be nice if we kind of had like these litmus strips that we could use in other areas of life. I mean, imagine being able to walk into a used car sales place and stick one of these test strips in the salesman's ear to be able to determine whether or not they are being fully truthful with you about this car or Imagine what it would be like to be able to use a, a litmus strip on, 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 on politicians. It would be helpful, right? Through our time together this fall as we've been traveling through this series on the book of First John that we're calling From the Beginning. We have seen that the Apostle John, as he writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, has been, in a sense, laying out a series of tests to help us to understand the genuineness of life and faith and love and whether or not we are walking in the light, reflecting a genuine relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. First John is an interesting book because there's a sense in which it goes through some cycles and he seems to repeat some of the same things over and over, each time taking it a little bit deeper. And this morning, as we pick up once again, this time in First John and chapter 4, we see another test, a test that was vitally important to John's readers nearly 2,000 years ago, a a test that is still important for us today, 
and I believe one that is only going to become ever more important as the days go by. Uh, Pastor Matt gave me a very large portion to preach on this morning, and in fact, the entire chapter of 1 John chapter 4, but since he didn't give me two hours in which to preach to you in, uh, we're only really going to be able to look at a small portion of it. But I want to invite you to join me in 1 John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1, where we read these words. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, this may be a little bit difficult for you to see, but um, uh, I've, I've broken these verses that I've just read down, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time to, to look at it. And, and, and he starts off by giving us an instruction and, and, and the reason why this instruction is important. And then, and then he presents the test or the first part of the test, followed by an encouragement, an exhortation, and then the second part of the test. And the instruction here, quite simply, is found in verse 1, and it is that it is vitally important that we be discerning people. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And again, he gives the reason for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, why is it amongst everything else that, that John has been talking about that he now starts to talk about uh, the Spirit? Well, at the end of chapter 3, he has been talking about the, uh, the need for us to love one another and how when we love one another, it reveals that we understand God's love for us. And that's a theme that comes up over and over again in this book. But there, at the end of uh, chapter 3, verse 24, it says, whoever keeps his commandments, whoever keeps Christ's commandments, abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so John here is introducing the fact that we know that a person has genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not only by their obedience to his commands, which are reflected in their loving relationships to others, because God is love, and therefore we reflect his character when we love others, but also by the fact that those who are in Christ have been given his Holy Spirit. 
But now in chapter 4, he begins to introduce a problem. He, he tells us it's vitally important that we be discerning people because not everybody who claims to be speaking by the Spirit is in fact speaking by the Holy Spirit. Not everybody who claims to be a representative of God or, or, or to be teaching godly principles is in fact true in what they are saying. And so he begins with this warning, quite simply, that we should be careful that we not believe every spirit, but instead test every spirit to see whether they are from God. Now, we need to talk in a moment about what he means when he's talking about spirit here. Uh, we know that he is definitely speaking about the Holy Spirit because the context, the end of chapter 3, speaks of uh, the Spirit from God. But what are these other spirits? Well, he helps us to understand this when he says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's speaking of the fact that there are many people who are proclaiming a message both with their lips and with their lives that is false. They may uh, say that they represent God. They, they may have this idea of the fact that they are promoting a concept that they want people to believe is godly, but that does not necessarily mean that it is. In fact, what we see is that not everybody who appears to be spiritual is, in fact, from God. The reality is that there are some people who present things for their own personal gain. They are not speaking from God. They are not representing Him. Their, their, their faith and their teaching, their, their, their instruction is not genuine, uh, but is seeking to deceive for the sake of gain. There are others who seek to deceive others simply because of the fact that they themselves have been deceived. So they don't know that they are misrepresenting God. They don't know that they are leading others astray. It's just that they have themselves been deceived and they are leading others in the same deception that they have experienced. And then, this kind of makes us uncomfortable, but there are also those who speak a message, who promote a system, and they are deceiving others because they are being influenced or even possessed by demonic spirits. He says, not every spirit is from God. Not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. And there's a warning here that we be people who are wise and discerning. And the way that John uses the word spirit here is probably talking about the spirit of a person. And the idea of testing is to discern whether a person's spirit is actually being acted upon by the Holy Spirit or by a 
demonic spirit. The truth is that God is at work in the world, but that Satan is also at work in the world. And we must know how to discern God's work uh, from Satan's work. We need wisdom to be able to do that. And again, that kind of makes us uncomfortable. He says we need to use a litmus test. We need to examine. And and then uh, having introduced us to the problem, he helps us to see what the test is. And he goes on and he explains this in, in, in verse two and three. And what he essentially says is that we can know if someone is truly of God by what they confess about Jesus. We can know if someone is truly of God by, by what they do with the person of Jesus Christ. Notice it says, by this, verse two, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. So he says, everyone who confesses the the biblical Jesus, fully God, fully man, shows themselves to be of God. Now, some people have have looked at this verse and they kind of use the specific wording here as as the test. And so I've, I've been with people and they have literally said, do you confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it, I think it misses the larger point of what John is making here. And, and that is that, that we need to have an accurate, right, and biblical view of Jesus. What we do with Jesus matters. Now, in John's day, one of the problems, and we've seen this through this series already, one of the problems was that there were a group of people who said, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe that Jesus is God, but, but no, he didn't really come in the flesh. He didn't really take on uh, um, uh, uh, human flesh. He wasn't really a man. He just had the appearance of one. And they were beginning to teach this idea that the physical is evil. And, and, and is, to be, is to be shunned, is to be avoided, is to be uh, denied. But that you could reach this kind of spiritual plane of existence by, by being free of the physical and pursuing the secret knowledge. And this is kind of a background here to what was going on in John's day. It's why he begins his letter the way that he does when he talks about that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have touched. He's talking about the fact that no, Jesus, though fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung to, but he humbled himself. As we heard just a few moments ago, taking the form of a servant, that our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is both 100% fully God and 100% fully man. In fact, there is no salvation if there is not the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
And so John is not, he's speaking to a specific audience here, but he's not so much saying uh, the, the way that you need to test if somebody is, is, is really from God or not is, is by asking this specific question. Did he come in the flesh? No, the point that he is making is that we must have a biblical view of the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the, is the great stumbling block. A lot of people have no problem whatsoever talking about God. A lot of people are, yeah, well, you know, you just do your thing, and you follow your God, and I'll follow mine. Or, yeah, well, it's good to believe in something. We hear all of this garbage. But Jesus is the stumbling block, right? Jesus is the one that when you go to the state house and you're asked to pray a prayer to open the session, it's like, hey, to pray... But whatever you do, don't pray in Jesus' name. Why not? Because Jesus is what trips people up. A lot of people are into God. Yeah, but the whole Jesus thing, that's a little bit controversial. Or on the other side, there are those who are, are, are perfectly happy to name the name of Jesus. But the Jesus that they're talking about bears no resemblance whatsoever so who we find in the pages of Scripture. You know, sometimes we get that knock on the door and the Jehovah's Witnesses come. And, and uh, a lot of us, quite honestly, are sort of, we're, we're impressed. I mean, they seem to have a pretty good knowledge of their Bible. They're, they're, they're diligent. They're, they're passionate. They're getting out there while we're sat watching Netflix. And we think, wow, you know, they're... Must be something too. I mean, they're really committed. God, they're really committed to the deception that they're walking in. Because they have no problem talking about Jesus, but when they talk about Jesus, they're not talking about a Jesus who they confess is fully God. They consider him to be a, a lesser deity. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Some of us, may, maybe you've got a Mormon family as your neighbor. If you have, you've probably noticed something, and that is that they are some of the nicest people you could ever wish to meet. I'm sorry to say this, but oftentimes they're a whole lot nicer than many Christians I know. They're just nice. Problem is, again, they have no issue talking about Jesus. But when they talk about Jesus, they talk about somebody who when he died on the cross, that sacrifice was not sufficient. It was sufficient to pay for your original sin, but all the rest of it. So the sin of Adam, the inherited sin, yeah, that was paid for. The problem is you've got to deal with all the rest. People have no problem talking about God. Some people have no problem talking about Jesus. The question is, is it... The real Jesus. I was in Uganda, just got back last week. And Uganda is an interesting country because everything is covered in Jesus. What do I mean by that? The taxis. God bless you, taxi. Grocery stores. Divine healing grocery store. Hallelujah Health Clinic. 
I don't, I'm not kidding. Everywhere. The only problem is, you get talking to many of the people over there, and they have this way out there picture that bears no resemblance to the Jesus of Scripture. And mixed in with that, they've got all of these other sort of, oh, well, yeah, I got this spiritual revelation. And, and, and yeah, I had this visitation from this, this ghost. People are fascinated by spiritual things. But what John is saying is not, not every spirit, not every spirit is from God. And we must be discerning. And the test by which we are to be discerning is what do you do with Jesus? Now, even for some of us, as we're gathered here this morning, that is the most important question that we can wrestle with today. What do you do with Jesus? Some of us are here, and, 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 and we're still checking Jesus out. Some of us are here and we're like, yeah, well, you know, I got this, I, I, I sort of, you know, there's this that I like. And you know, some people say this, but I don't really like that. And I love the Jesus that we're going to celebrate at Christmas because the Jesus in the manger is so sweet. The Jesus in the manger is, is safe. But you've never come to that point of acknowledging that Jesus came not so that you could have Christmas. Not even so that we can gather together in a building that we call the church. But he came in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And that what you do with Jesus matters because if you do not respond to the Jesus of the Bible, that means you are lost. What you do with Jesus matters because... There's Jehovah's Witnesses when they knock on your door and they tell you all about their Jesus. They are deceiving people to hell. What you do about Jesus matters because when the, Norman, uh, when the Mormons uh, uh, do all of these wonderful looking things and knock on your door and start telling you about their Jesus, those who follow them are condemned to hell. What you do when, when it's like, oh, yeah, well, well, God's into all of these different things, and isn't it just good that people are being good? And, 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 and yeah, that sounds nice. So you condemn people to hell. Because what you do with Jesus matters. Either he is who he says he is, or we should just switch off the lights, pack up, and go home. What John is saying is that we must be a discerning people. As believers, we must be discerning as to who we listen to, as to who we are influenced by. But we also have to be very careful because we live in a world. We have a spiritual enemy who loves to deceive Christians into thinking all of this is no big deal. It's no big deal. 
things sound so palatable. Unless you wonder whether or not the devil really exists, whether he's really active. Well, a movie that I enjoyed back in the 90s was called The Usual Suspects. There's a great line in there. It's actually uh, quoted from an old French poet. It says, the greatest trick the devil ever played is to convince the world he doesn't exist. It's true. And, and sadly, there are many in the church who have been deceived by that same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. We should not give him more room in our theology than we ought, but make sure that you have some room in your theology for him. Because not every spirit is from God. Because we have a spiritual enemy who is actively seeking to distort and to deceive And John says to believers, we must be therefore discerning and we must recognize that even if something sounds nice, be on guard. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in McHenry County, there is uh, a lot of, uh, uh, there are are a lot of people who subscribe to to Wiccan. uh, they refer to themselves either as Wiccans or witches. Um, Northwest Herald article uh, um, just a couple of years ago um, had a, a big article on this. There's two very large uh, Wiccan groups in particular in, uh, in McHenry County. Uh, they're witches covens. Uh, one is called the Temple of the Everlasting Ar- uh, Amaranth. Uh, the other is the, the Nautilus Coven. Uh, In this article, it was talking about uh, them. They interviewed one of these local witches. And I quote when I say here, uh, uh, they said, people, when they hear witchcraft, they think that we murder children and sacrifice animals and hold black masses, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, there are religions out there that do that sort of thing. Oh, but, but they're very different from what we practice. We're a very peaceful group. Then the article goes on and, and, and in this interview says, for Wiccans, magic is in everything. Magic's there from every time you take a breath to every time you hear your child laugh or when you stir your coffee in the morning. Sounds good. Uh, we live in a world that loves to hear that. Oh, isn't that, that's not, uh, magic's everywhere. There's, there's this, you switch on movies, you see this all the time. These kinds of messages. And you know what? They're having a great influence with our young people, with our teens. At the end of this article that was in the Northwest Herald, they, even, they had an invitation to a specific event that they were holding, and then it ended, and they said, oh, and participants are encouraged to bring a, a canned food item to donate to the fish food pantry in McHenry. And that's a good thing. And, and the problem is that there are many people who are like, oh, well, look at that. Isn't that nice? And, and worse than that, there are, there are some, even within the church, who will say, oh, well, that's not such a bad thing. You know, God would be happy about the fact that they're trying to help the community. We have to be people of discernment. We have to recognize the reality of spiritual deception in our world. We have to recognize 
that sometimes, as we talked about a few weeks ago we were, when we were in the series in the book of Jude, that sometimes that deception even can find its way within our doors. But this ought not to surprise us. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, talks about this. He, he talks about the fact that Satan disguises himself. He says, for such men are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. He's making the point that we must be discerning and not just take any voice and assume that God is represented well as long as it sounds palatable and popular. But more than that, after introducing this first test, after giving this instruction, he then goes on to give an exhortation. And that exhortation is be encouraged because our God is greater. You see, uh, the, uh, the, what we find here in our passage reminds us that there is a problem. And, and sometimes it, it can be tempting to feel like the battle which is raging seems to be something that, that is being won by the enemy, as he is deceiving people, that, that when somebody is, is misrepresenting Jesus, when somebody is confessing a Jesus or a God that is, is apart from what Scripture teaches, that they are representing the, the spirit of Antichrist, that which is opposed to the truth of God. But John reminds his readers and he reminds us, don't fear. The reality is that we are in a spiritual battle. The reality is that we must be discerning. The reality is that we are surrounded by those who profess one thing and live something else. But know this. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have overcome the world. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit who dwells in a believer is greater than every other spirit. People are fascinated, especially this time of year, with all of the Halloween stuff and this and that and the other and going out and watching scary movies. And, and, and many things satanic are celebrated at this time. And, and, and we come out of, of those movies and we're kind of like, oh, that was really scary. I loved it. And we kind of have this subtle idea of, oh, yeah, you know, isn't this so, so powerful? But John reminds there is a deception. But here's the good news. If you are in Christ Jesus, know this, that he who dwells in you is greater than he who dwells in the world. That there is no cosmic battle taking place. That there is no uh, attempt uh, uh, by God to, to try to overcome the evil one. No. God is greater. 
And if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you are an overcomer through Christ. You are an overcomer in the sense that, that having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having had your sins forgiven, here's a glorious thing that we can celebrate. You have now, through Christ, overcome the power of the enemy because he who sought to keep you from truth has failed. More than that, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you and I face in our own strength. We can be tempted to fear. We can sometimes feel like like we are the underdogs in this great battle, but no, we are the overcomers, not because of anything that we do, but because the God who we call on, the God who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit is always victorious. His plans, his purposes will be accomplished. And no scheme of Satan can ever, can ever overthrow them. I love the words of the old hymn by Martin Luther, the great reformer. In his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And in the next stanza, it goes on to tell us what that word is, and that is the word of Jesus. So in the midst of this, he gives this warning, this instruction, be discerning people. He, he gives a test. Evaluate everything based on what they confess about Jesus Christ. And then the second part of the test seems very similar to that first part of the test. But essentially, John says that we can know if someone is truly of God by the response to the gospel message. You see this in uh, uh, verse 5 and verse 6. It says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so while this is very close to that idea of what they do with Jesus reveals, while it's also true, that what they do with the gospel message itself reveals where someone is. He starts off and he says that they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. In other words, it should not surprise us that, that false teachers, that deceptive messages are so attractive in the eyes of the unbelieving world because when they speak deceptive messages, it connects with people who are deceived. It makes sense. The value system by which false teachers operate is the value system that is attractive to an unbelieving world. But the gospel... The gospel is what helps us to discern what people do with the truth of God, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ 
reveals whether they are from God. There are so many messages in our world. So many that even seem to be good and yet are subtly deceptive. Read an article just yesterday. Uh, apparently, there's some big meeting happening in Glasgow. The headline of this article was The Fate of the World Will Be Decided in Glasgow. Aren't you sad that you're missing out on that meeting? I mean, that sounds like an interesting meeting. The fate of the world will be decided. What are they talking about? They're, they're talking about environmental issues. Now, let me be clear on this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have been commanded to steward this earth that we live in. But the message that the world is teaching today, and it is everywhere in the movies, everywhere you look, is that this world would be a whole lot better if there were no people in it, if we just let the animals get on with their own thing. What does that do? It undercuts the whole truth of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1. What is the pinnacle of God's creation? Humanity. As soon as you tear that away and you have this, 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 this kind of message, you are making a departure from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an attractive message. The world wants to hear this message. There is truth in there. We must be stewards. But it is a distorted message. And we need to be discerning. And what John is saying is that it is the response to the gospel, just as Howard Marshall states here, it is by the people's response to the preaching of the true church that it is possible to discern those who are directed by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of falsehood and error. The problem that we have is that we spend more time listening to these other voices than we do to the truth of God's word. And what John is calling his readers to do 2,000 years ago, and what we're called to do today is quite simply this. We must view everything through the lens of God's truth. Because unless we are discerning people, unless we recognize that not every voice, that not every spirit, that not every message is from God, We find ourselves in a precarious place, but more than that, we find ourselves being influenced by or watered down in our witness. Because we look around and it's like everybody else is jumping on this bandwagon. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's truth. He says, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There is an authority associated with the truth of God's word. John is able to say this as an apostle because we know that the church is is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And so when he, he says, whoever listens to us is from God, he can say that with apostolic authority, but it's also true still today the church of Jesus Christ, when they are being faithful in the proclamation of the gospel, that the pastors here, the elders here, that we as believers, if we are in this word, we are able to say the same thing. Whoever listens to us, more specifically, whoever listens to this word, if it is faithfully taught and responds to it, they're from God. If they don't, they're not. 
do not. It's not a popular message. But we are to be discerning. There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are not. How do we respond to that? John says we must be discerning, and we must test to make sure that we are in Christ. But also we must understand that we have to be careful who we are listening to, who we are following. And friends, we must be passionate in our witness to a lost world, and we must plead with people to turn to Christ. We must plead with people to make sure that they understand that not every voice that is seeking their attention is worthy of listening to. We must remind people that what you do with Jesus is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Now, if we had time, we would go into the rest of the chapter, and in the remainder of the chapter, uh, we see uh, um, this return to this idea of, of God's love. And, and, and through it, we see sort of, it, as, as I have outlined here on the next slide, we, uh, we, we see that, that John is talking about the fact that, first of all, love comes from God, that God has put his love, his perfect love on display through the person of Jesus Christ. He then goes into talking about the fact that when we experience God's perfect love, there's no room left for fear. And the result of that is that therefore, since God has put his love on display, since we are to abide in his perfect love with, without fear, we are to demonstrate his love to, uh, uh, to others through the way in which we love them. It, it's, in a sense, another test that John's been talking about through this book. But really, we could sum this up and say that right living begins with right thinking, and right thinking begins with right thinking about God. It all starts with what we do with that. So therefore, we must be those who are discerning. So how do we put this into practice? How do, we, how do we put into practice this idea that we are not only to demonstrate God's love, but we are to do it in a way which demonstrates discernment? Well, I think the fact that these two go together remind us of an important principle, and that is that our discerning should never be in a condescending manner. It should never be in a way in which we are, uh, we are uh, writing people off. But a few things that we need to do. First of all, we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to pray for our leaders because we, we want to be those who sit under the instruction of God's pure and perfect word. And, and so as we uh, pray for the leaders of, of the church, uh, Andy was talking about pastor appreciation. One of the things that you can do to most appreciate the pastors here is you can pray for us. Pray that we would have wisdom. Pray that we would be people of discernment because there's a whole lot of messages out there. How do we help you navigate the Christian life in the midst of that? We need to ourselves exercise discernment. You need to recognize, and in fact, I, 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 I go to the next one here, that we are to take everything in every place and measure it up from Scripture. Every time you sit down and watch a movie, recognize there is a message being communicated through that. Every time we, we go onto social media, there is a message communicated through that. Every time somebody opens their mouth, there is a, there is a, a worldview that is underlying that. And how do we become discerning people? We hold everything up against the lens of Scripture. 
And we recognize we are not to interpret Scripture based on these different perspectives. We are to, we are to understand and evaluate these different perspectives based on Scripture. We need to make sure that we have room for the devil in your theology, but don't give him too much room. There is a deceiver. He is active. But he is a defeated foe. Be aware that there is deception and that it is demonic deception. But keep on always bringing everything back to Jesus. And even some of us here today need to simply ask ourselves the question, when you talk about Jesus, when you talk about your Jesus, is your Jesus the Jesus of the Bible? Is he the Jesus of the Bible? It has become so popular to talk about my Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. But if he's just your Jesus, then he's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because maybe you have crafted him in your own image, and we need to keep on coming back and evaluating, what have I done with Jesus? Because Jesus himself even said that there will be many in that day who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and this in your name? And he will say, Apart, away from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. And I think that's because they have crafted him after their own image rather than recognizing who he is. We need to get deeply rooted in the love of God in Christ and experience the peace that that brings. Because if we are to be discerning people who also reflect the love of God, we need to draw near to God. We need to uh, abide in His love, not only so that we can love one another well, but so that we can exercise discernment in a gracious and compassionate and loving way. And oh, do we need that in the church. How easily we write people off and condemn people who we need to love towards Christ. And finally, we need to reflect the reality of God's love through actively and deliberately loving one another as well. Because all through this Gospel of John, we not only see this idea that when we love one another, we are putting on display the reality of God's love for us and our relationship with Him But more than that, we are also putting on display for our watching world the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that being in Christ makes a difference because we love one another so deeply, so sacrificially and so selflessly that a watching world is supposed to see that and say, there is nothing that this world has to offer that is anything close to that. Friends, be careful. Not every voice, not every message, not every word is from God. So be discerning. Keep on going back and drinking deeply of His Word so that you can recognize truth. And remember, remember that the God who delights in his children has demonstrated his love and his truth 
by sending his son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Let us put that love on display and let us put that message firmly on display so that people who right now are walking in darkness, who are in danger of deception, may be able to hear the glorious truth from our lips and from our lives. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reminding us that in a world that has so much to say about so many different things, that we must be careful to have ears that are attuned to your voice and your spirit. Forgive us, Lord, for often finding ourselves so enamored by the voices of this world that they at times drown out your glorious truth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be firm in you. Pray that you would give us hearts and minds of discernment. Lord, I pray that should there be any here this morning who have never come to a firm conviction through the prompting of your Holy Spirit over who Jesus is and what he has done for them, that today would be the day that they recognize that what they do with Jesus is the defining thing in their lives. And that today would be the day that they confess that he is both Savior and Lord and that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So, Lord, would you work today? Help us to hear your voice to walk in your truth and to do so reflecting your marvelous love for us as we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray.